tell you from experience that we, we, I had a guy, just speaking to you guys out there, there's a guy from North Carolina, he calls me on the phone, right? He calls me on the phone, or he sends me a text. He says, hey, is this a prayer line? And I said, no, no, but you can email the church and it'll connect you to the prayer team. And he says, well, do you guys pray for salvation? I'm like, uh, do, do you want to receive Jesus? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'll call you in five minutes. So I, I called him and my wife's like, like, who are you calling? I'm like, I'm calling this guy and I don't know where he lives, but some guy's contacting me and I'm like, I'm calling him. She goes into the post office. I don't know who I'm calling. I, I mean, I could be calling Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> So I, I called the guy and, and I asked him, I said, have you received Jesus? He's like, I'm not sure. And I said, well, today's your day. And uh, he received the Lord. And then he asked me to pray for him over that. And, and if you don't think, so if you don't think the power, that the social media has power, and somebody from this church probably shared that on the wall, that, got, that somebody out there beyond the sphere of that person uh, saw that, and this guy got connected to us um, from, from that. So it, it has far-reaching uh, things. So I just want to encourage you with that and uh, moving towards that. We're doing a series on prayer, and we're doing Matthew chapter 6. It's the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer because Jesus told them how to pray. Isn't that interesting? So it wasn't Jesus saying, hey, this is my prayer. He was giving them a model prayer. So we have our Father who is in heaven, right? You guys know the story. Come on. Our Father. Come on. Come on. Help you. Who is in heaven? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hallowed be thy name. Come on. Your kingdom come. That's right. There we go. Come on. We're a participatory church. I like participation. You can say amen. You can, you know, we're not, you know, you can participate. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, our, tra- our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. For yours is the kingdom. Come on. The and the. That's right. These aren't empty words. So if you look at that verse, if you look at Matthew chapter 6, I have a new iPad, by the way, or an iPad that I had at my house forever that wasn't working, and the sound team needed the iPad, so I got this iPad working, but I haven't set the screensaver yet, so I have to keep my finger on it to keep it from blanking out so I don't have to keep entering the password. So if you see me doing this, it's, I'm not texting, I'm having to re-bring the screen back up. So when you pray, Jesus tells him at Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you pray, everybody say, not if I pray, but when I pray. So there's an expectation on us to pray. Understand? Most people don't pray because they don't know how to pray. They have no clue. They don't have the concept or the connectedness of what it actually looks like. Or we pray missed. We pray amiss. Um, the Bible says this, the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous avail. So we're to pray not just fervently, we're to pray effectually, which means we pray with effect. Our prayers should have an effect. And most of the time, our prayers don't have an effect because we're not praying correctly. Jesus doesn't answer beggar prayers, and he doesn't answer why prayers. So when you come to God, oh, God, please, oh, Lord, please, please, God, I just want to just tell you, please, please, oh, if you would, if you would, please, he doesn't recognize it. He hears the prayer, but he doesn't recognize the person praying because you are not a beggar. When you pray why prayers, oh, God, why me, why, oh, why, why? Why, why? He doesn't recognize that either. He hears the prayer, but he doesn't recognize you because you are not a victim. We pray as sons and daughters. We pray on our feet. We come before the throne. We come before the seat of authority with boldness. We don't come as beggars, and we don't come as victims. We come as victors. You understand that? Yes, two of you? That's good, all right? But he also tells them, he tells them, there's a model that we pray, and you're going to see it. I'm going to run through it real quick, and then we're going to get to the, the subject here this morning, which is in this prayer. And it says, when you pray, he says, two times when you pray, in verse 5 and in verse 6. In verse 5, he says, when you pray, he says, don't be religious. That's the first thing he tells them. When you pray, 
don't be religious. Don't be like the Pharisees who were the religiously correct. That tells you something right there. Then the second thing he says is that don't pray like an unbeliever. <laughs> like the Gentiles, the non-covenant people. That would be reference to unbelievers. Don't, would they pray with empty words? The, the religious play, pray with correct. They want everybody, oh, sovereign God. God of the most high universe, noblest God of all. I just come and beseech you on behalf of my sister here, and I just ask if you have any mercy for her this morning. It's completely wrong, completely off-center. Sounds good to us. That has a lot of relativity to us as human beings, but it has no effect on heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. Need is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. God is not moved by human need. He is moved by faith. Without what? It's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe he is. Who what? He is who he says he is. He's who he says he is. And they must believe that he will reward those who diligently seek him. Faith is the currency of heaven. So we're not to pray religiously. We're not to pray like unbelievers. We're not to pray as beggars. We're not to pray as victims. What's the first part of that prayer? Our what? Right. He positions you. The first part of the prayer is positioning. We don't come, oh, oh, our, 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 our worshipful master. Oh, God. We don't come crawling. We come standing. And we stand as sons and daughters, and we come before him as Father, our Father, who is in heaven. He's not the world's Father, he's your Father. The world doesn't know him as Father. We're all God's children. We are not. We are not. We are all God's creation. But apart from Christ, only those who are in Christ are given the authority or the ability to be called sons and daughters. John chapter 1, right? Only, only those who receive Christ are given the power and the ability to be named sons and daughters. So while the world is God's creation, they are not sons and daughters. You are in Christ. And the Lord expects you to act like it. Say it. It's time. Come on, come on, come on. It's time, it's time. to rise to the level of my birth. Try it. It's time for you to rise to the level of your birth. You are a daughter of the highest. You are a son of the highest. You don't come crawling. You don't come begging. You come on your feet. My father who is in heaven. I honor your name. I worship you. I adore you. I give you glory that I can call you Father on the virtue and the basis of the blood of Jesus. I stand before you, not in my own righteousness. I stand before you in the righteousness that you have given me. We come before him knowing who we are. God takes honor in that. When you begin, you want to pray with power? I'm showing you how to pray with power. You want to pray with effect, right? Anybody want their prayers answered? Anyone at all? You don't want to pray vain repetitions. You don't want to pray religiously. I was trained in religious prayers. Trained. They have no effect. Oh, they sounded so noble. Oh, oh, brother, that was a beautiful prayer. Oh, oh. If that didn't warm the heart of God, I don't know what did. You know? Uneffectual. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying pharisaical, religious, man-pleasing, man-endowing prayers without power. Why is it without power? They don't even know who they are. I'm not begging him. I'm coming before boldly before the throne of grace. I'm coming before him knowing who I am, knowing who he is and knowing who I am before him. I didn't give myself the title of son. He gave it to me. You didn't give yourself the title of daughter. He gave it to you. He gave it to you. Say this. I will never allow myself to be lowered beneath the position that God has established for me. That's right. I will never again Lower myself beneath the position God has established for me. Jesus paid with blood to call you daughter. 
Jesus paid with blood to call you son. You call yourself anything less, you've, you've lowered yourself. You say you don't know what I've done. It has nothing to do with you. It is a position that you've been given. Christians oftentimes try to clean up all the externals, thinking that's what will make them acceptable to God. They are in Christ, but they're like, well, I can't really come to him because I still got dysfunctional areas in my life. Well, welcome to the planet, right? You, you don't come to God based upon your externals. You come to God based upon your position. And when you understand that you are a son and daughter, all of your externals are going to line up. Start seeing yourself as a daughter of the highest and see, how, see the choices you start making. I guarantee you they're going to be different. Start seeing yourself as a son of the highest, loved on your worst day. God is for you and never against you. God is for you and even, even when you're against you. Nothing can separate you from the love that your father has for you. Start seeing yourself in light of that. I'm a son of the highest. I'm not doing that. It's not who I am. I'm not lowering myself. I'm not getting involved in that. Why? Not because, of, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, hoping to just eke it out into the end, pastor. You know, I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm telling you, I get around people that are, I get around uh, church leaders. I'm like, well, we're all just sinners saved by grace. I'm like, not me. <laughs> not me. All y'all can be sinners saved by grace. I'm a son. I'm appointed of my father. I'm called. I'm at Kaleo. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm an ambassador in this world. Who are you? Who are you? This is who your father says you are. Who do you say you are? What is the identity that you have brought upon yourself? Christians walk around with fake IDs and their lives reflect it. Your life reflects the identification that you, that you own. If you see Jesus as part and partial and you're distant from him, you are in him, he is in you. He is your father. So we come before him. That's, it's, it's interesting how Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, the first thing he does is position us in identity. Article one, you hear me teach you this all the time. First thing of the kingdom is identity. One of the first elements of the kingdom is identity. It's one of the first things. I was around a guy, and I tell you this story all the time. Uh, there was a guy that uh, had basically been around the world, worldwide, very, 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 very well known. A lot of you in the room, if I said his name, would, um, would know him. And I was in a room with him, and somebody was a small group of people, and somebody was interviewing him, and they said, of all of the things, I was a young guy. He said, of all of the things you, when you notice as you, you know, as you seasoned and you're getting older and you're about, he passed away a few years ago, a few decades ago, actually. And, and he said, what do you notice about the body of Christ? And he said, the two things that I notice about the body of Christ and the two things that have the most effect upon the body of Christ is they don't know who they are and they leave their harvest in the field. <laughs> they don't know who they are and they don't know the inheritance that belongs to them. They don't know the calling that's on their life and they don't know the thing. Why? Because we let the devil lie to us. You know, we, 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 we allow ourselves to be insulated with religious teaching that justifies our powerlessness. We allow ourselves to be insulated with religious teaching that never calls us beyond ourselves, never calls us to demonstrate faith, never does anything. No challenge. Where there's no challenge, there's no change. Jesus isn't like that. Kingdom's not like that. Religion's like that, but Jesus isn't like that. Nor is the kingdom. You got to know who you are. It's interesting. First thing. You know what? Watch the first two things Jesus brings you to. He brings you to identity, and he brings you to inheritance. Article one, our father. I come before him as a son. I come before him as my father. Worshipped, worshiping him and knowing that I'm accepted. Accepted not on my own terms, but upon his righteousness. I don't stand in my righteousness, I stand in his. Second thing he does is he takes us into inheritance. Say this, my inheritance, my inheritance. is in his name. That's right. Hallowed be your name. Honored be your name. Well, what's the name of the Lord? He's got a lot of them. Jehovah, Yahweh, the becoming one, but he has a compound name to that, right? Jehovah Jireh, we all know that. What's that mean? Lord is your provision. 
So everything, every place where his name is found is where your inheritance lies. Provision is the inheritance of the believer. It belongs to you. You don't earn it. It's given. You understand? Destiny is, you have, to, you have to align with destiny. You have to choose into destiny. Inheritance has to be activated. Inheritance is activated. Destiny is aligned with and cho- chosen. Inheritance is not the same as destiny. What belongs to every believer is the inheritance. But every believer has a different destiny and a different purpose designed to them by God. Does this make sense to you? But equally, we have the same inheritance. And we go beyond our inheritance into destiny and into purpose. But inheritance is given. Provision belongs to you. My God shall supply all my needs according to... He's going to take care of your needs. Survival belongs to you. I tell you, you're going to make it after all. Mary Tyler Moore, for those of you who are, remember that song. You're going to make... It's like, Mary Tyler Moore, who's that? This dude's old. Who's this guy? What's these guys are talking about? You're going to make it. That's the good news. I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. God's going to provide for you. Provision is yours. You call upon the Lord to meet a need. He does. But you, you say, God, man, God just gets me through. God just gets me through. Yes, survival belongs to you. Success and significance do not. You had success and significance. You are called unto success and you are called unto significance. But you have to align your life and begin to choose into that according to the success and the, the path that God lays out. But survival belongs to you. Oh, you'll hear testimony after testimony after testimony. Christians will always get through. You're always going to survive because survival is guaranteed. Success and significance isn't. If you get tired of living at survival, well, then you need to begin to press into success and significance because that's all yours too. But that's the calling. The inheritance is survival. You don't have to worry about it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. That's good news. That's good news. You're going to get through. You're going to get through. <laughs> you say, but I want more. No problem. There's more for you, but that requires something different of you. God's going to take care of you whether you're obedient or not. Do you know that? If you're a Christian and you're in Christ, the Lord's going to take care of you. I didn't say you were going to succeed. I didn't say you were going to be significant, but the Lord will take care of you. Do we have anybody here who's lived reckless lives as a Christian? Anyone at all? Right? Any, any honest people? We got one guy over here who wants to tell the truth, right? You're a believer, but you've done stupid things. But God always took care of you, didn't he? Didn't he? You didn't lose everything. He took care of you. You what? Survived. Right? There's a difference. God, just because God has given me my inheritance because it belongs to me in Christ. But what happens with my life is that my life is the sum total of the choices that I make into the kingdom. When you become a believer, you're symbiotically bound to the kingdom. Your life will rise or stay the same to the degree that you complement or engage the kingdom. Write that down. I've been doing this a long time. Say, I don't believe that. Well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Now i got to type. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I'm talking off my notes. So I don't know what to tell you. But what I do know is that your life will rise and fall as it relates to the kingdom. As you choose into the kingdom, so your life will succeed. As you choose away from the kingdom, so your life will stagnate and drift. It's just that simple. When you come to Christ, you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. You understand? You now are in the world, but you are not of the world. You are of his kingdom. Your life ebbs and flows through that kingdom, not this world's culture. So that's why Christians, when they try to blend themselves, not necessarily into the world, but when they blend themselves into the attitudes, the thinking, the mindsets, the actions of the world, it's constant dysfunction. Because you're not of that world. The the word world is the word cosmos, and it means system of thought. So we are in a system of thinking, but we are not of that system of thinking. 
That's what the Bible's telling you. The world around you is a system of thinking. Greed, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. All about me, all about what I want, all about what I feel, what I think. Well, I think and I want and this and this, it's all about you. That's this world. But you are not of that world. You are in that world, but you are not of it. You understand that? The Christian doesn't think that way. The Christian doesn't operate that way. We're in a, distant, a different system of thinking. God's desire for you is to know who you are, and he's to know, to know your inheritance. So we have his inheritance is in, our, is in his name, Jehovah to Sidkenu, righteousness. You are right before the Lord. That's your inheritance. You say, I don't know what I did last night. doesn't matter. If, if Christ is in your heart, you are right before him. You say, what do you mean it doesn't matter? It doesn't affect your position. Your external sins do not affect your position in Christ Jesus. They don't. They affect your destiny, but they don't affect your position. Right? This is hard for Christians to get their mind around because they constantly think they can disqualify themselves as sons. They constantly think they can disqualify themselves as daughters. And the church uses this as a manipulation tool to put guilt on people's lives But because in, guilt there, in, in love there is no guilt and in love there is no fear. In Christ are we perfectly loved? No, let me ask you a question. In Christ, does the Bible say we are perfectly loved? And the Bible says perfect love does what? Right. If I'm in constant fear that I'm going to do something that alienates me from the position that I have in Christ, then that's not love. Anybody here with children? Come on. All right. Does your, your child is born. So, any, so who has a son? Anybody have a son? Anybody? Okay. Your, your son is born, right? Your son is born. Does your son, you, so that is your child. Looks like you now, you know, but doesn't always act like you. Let's just be clear, right? We want to know that. D does your child do dumb things? Okay, your child does dumb things. Does your child always do what you want them to do? But is that child ever not your child? That child is never not your child. That child is now born unto you. It doesn't mean you agree with all of their choices. It doesn't mean that they even do what you ask them, what you, what, what you ask them to do. That child can be completely disobedient to you, but that child is still your child. This is what it means to be born again. You're born again. You belong to the Lord. It doesn't mean that he agrees with your choices. It doesn't mean that you do everything he asks you to do. But you are still his child. Do you understand that? So we have to get past the point of disqualifying. That's why the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does not more, much more abound. And so the question when, God was, when Paul was writing this to these Roman believers, they're like, well, then why don't we just sin? You know? And Paul said, listen, everything is lawful, but not everything is profitable. You don't sin because it destroys you, right? So they're like, well, if I can't disqualify myself and I can't separate myself from the kingdom, then I'm going to go party, oons, 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 right? And that's what people do. And then they realize that it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work that way. What you could do before as an unbeliever, you can't do anymore as a believer. Can I get a witness? What you could get away with as an unbeliever, you can't do it. No matter what, you go back to that, and it's like, it's fun for a time, but then it just gets bad really quick because you don't belong to that anymore. This is hard, but you've got to realize who you are. There's no fear in love. There's no fear. No fear. You are loved, but you begin to see yourself loved. Jesus doesn't agree with everything you do. He doesn't agree with your choices, but he agrees with the choice that you make to receive his son to receive him. This is, this is what matters to him. So when the Bible says that our inheritance is righteousness, Jehovah de Sidkenu, it means we are right before God, not because of you. It's your inheritance. Righteousness is your inheritance. Sanctification is your inheritance, freeing you from the past 
issues. That's the second side. Provision belongs to you. Jehovah Shalom, it means a flourishing life. Peace belongs to you. you it's yours. Your life, has anybody's life gotten better since they started following Jesus? No, come on, testify, right? Right? Is, is there anybody here that understands the movie, uh, you ever see the movie Night and Day with, uh, uh, what is that, Tom Cruise? You guys, oh, whatever. Like, I don't watch movies, Pastor. We're in church. Even if I did see that movie with Tom Cruise, I would never acknowledge it in this environment. He's protecting this woman, and he says, with me, without me. With me, without me. He said, your chances of surviving. With me, without me. With me, without me. So your life with Jesus, with him, without him, with him, without him, right? Your life is better because the inheritance of a better, it's Jehovah Shalom. You, you may not even be fully operating according to the principles that God has laid down for you for an even higher level of blessing, but yet the peace, the Shalom, the Shalom of God overflows and your life is better because it's the inheritance of every believer. It belongs to you. Provision belongs to you. Healing belongs to you belongs to you. Healing is yours. Well, I don't believe Jesus heals. Who told you that? Who told you that? We, just, we see people get healed all, all the time. All the time. We had a woman get healed of brain damage on, sun, on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, unbeliever. Literally cursing God. Nobody, she wouldn't even talk to anybody. Don't talk to me about God. Somebody dragged her here, right? Guilt works, right? Guilt trip, guilt trip for Easter, right? Brings her here. Uh, Pat, Kevin, would you please go and talk to my, to my goddaughter? And I'd already talked to her, and she seemed a little indifferent, so I just like to give people her space, but she was, I sat down and I talked with her, and I started talking to her, and just, I gave her a prophetic word, I said, this is, she's like, I don't want to talk about God, I said, was it okay if Jesus said something to you? I said, I feel like the Lord wants to say something to you, is that okay? She's like, okay, and I started telling her, and I just felt like the Lord was telling her all these wonderful things about herself, and how um, he, much he loves her and cares for her, and she began to open up her heart, and she said she had a really terrible accident, and all these crazy things had happened to her. And she had learned to walk again and learned to speak again and, 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 and eat again. And I could tell, then, then, it, then I noticed that she was speaking a little slow. So I'm sitting there, and then she tells me the accident. So what happens? The Holy Spirit starts to activate. And, he's like, and I'm immediately, I feel the Lord going, pray for her. You know, immediately, I'm like, okay, I know we're going to pray for healing here. This is going to happen because we're having this conversation. So I ask her to stand on her feet, and, I, and I'm just going by faith. And the Lord says to me, of all the things that are wrong with her, what's the, one th what's the first thing that comes to her? And I said, okay. I said that to her. I said, of all the things that are wrong with you, what's the first thing that comes to you? She goes, I can't run. I said, okay. And I said, why can't you run? She said, I have, too I have brain damage on the right side of my brain. And um, she says, I can't run. And she said, when I, I said, what happens when you run? She says, I fall over. And uh, I said, okay. And so prayed for her, whatever, doing these activations with her, just releasing the glory into her. Laid hands on her. I told her, your brain's going to feel, I said, you're going to feel, Lord's like, she's going to feel buzzing in her brain. So that was one of the coolest moments. And I said, your brain, you're going to feel this buzzing in your brain. I go, do you feel that? She said, I do. And while I'm releasing the anointing to her and praying for her, uh, I said to her, I I'm asking the Holy Spirit, I'm like, why buzzing? And he says, I'm adjusting the frequencies. Is that crazy? I'm like, why is the buzzing, Lord? And he said, I'm, I'm balancing the frequencies. She had brain damage. Her brain wasn't communicating correctly, right? And so, so Nonetheless, she was running. She was running. She ran holding my hand the first two times. Then I let go of her hand. I said, you're going to run. You're going to run. Her eyeballs were like this. And I said, Cassandra, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And she said, I do. And so she went becoming an unbeliever to a believer. I told that story to Shelly, and Shelly goes, happy freaking Easter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who told you he doesn't heal? Who told you that? 
Dr. So-and-so. Dr. So-and-so doesn't know what he's talking about. Pastor So-and-so says he doesn't heal. Who told you that? Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't say that. Your Bible doesn't say he doesn't heal. Healing is, healing is the children's bread. Know what Jesus said? Woman came, heal my daughter. He said, you don't give, the, the bread is for the children. What specific bread was he talking about? I mean, the, I believe the bread, the wholeness of the bread is for the children, but Jesus was talking about a specific portion of the loaf. He said, healing belongs to the children. Healing is the inheritance of the sons and daughters. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. It's yours. So Jesus positions us first in this prayer with identity, and then he positions us secondly with understanding our inheritance. Understand who you are and understand what belongs to you, Christian. You, under, you get that? Don't settle for second. Provision belongs to you. Broke is not your, is that your inheritance? Does that belong to you? Charmaine was going in the hospital for a full hysterectomy with a tumor on her, where was it? Where was it? Uterus? Cervix. Cervix. In the hospital, blah, 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 long story. They're telling her that. I had her on the phone. I said, is this your inheritance? I said, she said, no. I said, there's a tumor on your, on your cervix and in, uh, your inheritance. I said, is, is taking out and doing a full hysterectomy, is that your inheritance? And she said, no. And I said, then we're going to believe God for your inheritance. And we're going to activate your inheritance. They send her from the hospital. They send her to the, to the specialist. What happened? He said, so you had two ultrasounds after you left the hospital? It's gone. Come on. You know, you think this happened? This, is, this, this doesn't happen in all, all over churches. You know, we go, well, we had one miracle in 12 months. I was telling my wife, probably in the last three years, we probably had over 300 miracles. We just don't celebrate them. Every now and then you'll hear me talk about them, but we see them all the time. All the time. Why? Because we activate kingdom and we activate power. That's why. Right? We don't would you, should you, could you. We know what we come before the Lord knowing who we are and knowing what belongs to us and we don't settle for seconds. We're not making a negotiation. Right? We don't negotiate. Uh-uh. We're not negotiating. The devil wants to negotiate. We're not negotiating. Well, I'll just take your cervix. I'm just going to take your cervix. You're going to be fine, but I'm going to take your cervix. We're not making that deal. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We're not making that deal. We're going to stand in faith to the moment, that, to, the moment to the absolute last moment. We're going to believe God. Where's your faith, Christian? Jesus said, will the Son of Man find what? Faith on the earth when he comes. When I come, will I find anybody in faith believing and activating the things that I have promised? Will I? That's a question. That's a great question, isn't it? Well, we believe in the holy apostles and the tenets of the Christian faith and the holy sanctity of the church. We are in faith. You're not in faith. Not in faith. No. Paul said, you show me their, he said they come to you with cunning. I didn't come to you with cunningness of words. I came to you what? Anybody know? With demonstration and power. I didn't preach a kingdom to you in words alone. I preached a kingdom to you in demonstration and power. That's right. The church needs demonstration and power. That's what separates us from the Kiwanis Club. It's what separates us from the Moose Lodge, right? It's what separates us from every other religion on the planet is we can demonstrate power. That's right. Come on. <laughs> Amen. So you have to sin. So here's the deal. So forgive us our debts. So this is the portion. I, this is where I want to go. Pray for me. This is where we're going. <laughs> Pray for me. Pray for the pastor. 
Mickey prayed over me more. Lord, if you have something to say, just override the pastor's notes. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> anyway. Oh, there's intercession before service. If you, we, we used to have it every week, but since, you know, COVID. Uh, but now we have intercession again um, before service. If any of you want to come and pray and just intercede before first service um, in that room there. So just to let you know that. Uh, so forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Sin is a debt. Anybody know? Sin is a debt. Sin's a debt, right? So what is sin? So why is sin a debt? Sin is borrowing or taking something that doesn't belong to you. So what does that mean? Greed doesn't belong to you. Generosity does. Adultery doesn't belong to you. Fidelity does. Despair doesn't belong to you. Joy does. Selfishness doesn't belong to you. Selflessness does. Fear doesn't belong to you. Faith does. Cowardice doesn't belong to you. Courage does. Lies do not belong to you. Truth does. Foolishness doesn't belong to you. Wisdom does. So when we sin, we are taking something that doesn't belong to us. This is why Adam fell. Adam was created and given life by God, but the life that he was given by God was to be communed in the Lord. And Adam took back from the Lord what didn't belong to him. He took, a, he took something and he caused the separation. When you come to Jesus, what do you have to do? You have to call Jesus what? Starts with an L. You have to call him Lord. Why? Because Adam said, you're not Lord, I am. He took a right that wasn't his, caused separation. He also, took, he also began to, to live for himself. So when you come back to Christ, he, you have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's what, that's what the whole point being. He took something, and when he took what wasn't his, he inherited the wage or the sin of, of the penalty of that sin. And in that case, when it comes to the eternal separation, that's exactly what he inherited. He inherited, or the wage that was paid to him, was the separation. When we take things that don't belong to us, it becomes, we, we end up incurring a debt. Do you understand this? Greed, greed there's, a debt on, there's a debt on greed. Anybody here ever succeeded with greed? There, no, one ever, no one ever succeeds with greed. It's inevitable. If you want to live a life or run your business on greed, start the clock because it's only a matter of time before that business implodes or collapses. Because greed, that you cannot succeed by founding something in a sinful way. It just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. You know, when you start, when you live a life of selfishness, doesn't, you know, what, what is the penalty? Loneliness. Despair. You live, fear, does, fear is not yours. We make covenants and agreements. We sin. We act out of fear. Fear is not particularly for the believer. We're not called to do anything out of fear. Nothing. We're supposed to do everything out of faith or hearing the Lord. That's, another, that's for another time. But when you, when, you, when you make agreements or you take these positions in fear, then fear becomes your master. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. Fear is very familiar to us. Fear paralyzes us. Fear, uh, uh. fear becomes a dominant force and an issue in the believer's life through a trail of covenants that they have made. You have, to, you have to repent. You have to get forgiveness for things like that. So when the Bible's telling us to forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us, people have sinned against you. Can I get a witness? Right? We're well aware of that, right? We sometimes aren't aware of what we've done, but we're well aware of what others have done to us. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know what happened to me, man. Oh, yeah, I remember that. We borrow and we take what is not ours, and we incur a debt, a payment. And how do we incur the payment? We make mental, spiritual, physical agreements through actions and attitudes. Sin is not always external. Sometimes sin is internal. Absolutely. Romans says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So why is God asking the believer? Why does the believer pray this prayer? You need forgiveness. Not eternal forgiveness, but you need forgiveness in the now. 
So uh, Passover was just recently, and anybody know Jesus? Remember the story where Jesus was washing everybody's feet? Remember that? What happened to Peter? Peter did what? He stood up and said, don't wash my feet, Lord, right? And the Lord said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me, right? And Peter said, well, then not just my feet, all of me. Anybody know what Jesus said? Those that are clean have no need to be washed again, but I do need to wash your feet. That's basically the summary. In other words, Peter, you're converted, but you've been walking in a lot of messy places. Your feet need to be washed. So as Christians, when, we, when God is telling us to forgive us of our sins and our debts, what he's doing, what it is, is it's a cleansing. Forgiveness is a gift. We all walk in messy places. Can I get a witness? Right? Sometimes you're trying to be a good person, and sometimes you get in these really, really bad and toxic environments, and you get out of those places, and you're like, I just want to take a shower. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like, that was just such a horrible, you know, you, you didn't even do anything. You're just kind of in that experience. Then there's other things where you end up walking into, you end up stumbling into. Life does not belong to man. This is what happened when he sinned, when man sinned before. But so we have to, but so what happens? I want you to say this with me. There are sins of omission and there are sins of commission. There are sins where you don't know what you're doing. You just ended up doing it. You're like, what? I don't even know. I didn't even know that was wrong. Really? I didn't know. Then you've got sins of commission where you're like, yeah, I know that's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's sins of ignorance and sins of arrogance, and we all do them. And so we're all required to repent. Forgiveness is a gift. And I want you to say this, repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift. What lie have we believed? What lie do we propagate that teaches us that, that repentance is a penalty? Repentance is a, isn't a penalty. Repentance is a gift. Repentance cleanses me from all unrighteousness and puts me in the right position. My wife usually, we were, we were sitting outside in the yard the other day, and um, she, my wife has flowers, right? She has a lot of flowers. Ladies, she'll appreciate this. And so I sometimes, I'll, I'll you know, we go outside in the mornings usually some, sometimes, and I'll sit outside, and she always wants to go sit by the flowers. So we went over and, and sat down by the flowers because she likes to smell the flowers. She's like, they're blooming. Let's smell the flowers. And so there's bugs over here, you know, it's like... <laughs> But we were just talking about repentance, you know, and she was just ta- we were just talking about it. And I just said, man, I, I live for it. I love repentance because repentance separates me from me and engages me to him. That's all it does. It's the he- Say it with me. Repentance in the Hebrew, you're going to speak Hebrew this morning, is teshuva. You know what it means? Come back. That's what it means. So there's, two, there's a Greek word metanoia and there's the Hebrew word teshuva. So if you get the understanding that sin is taking something that doesn't belong to you and repentance is giving it back to Jesus, you get the connection, right? So when you took your life, when the unbeliever takes their life and you've never given your life to Christ, you are in possession of something that doesn't belong to you. You carry what doesn't belong to you. Your life does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus, but you must willfully give it to him. And so that's what teshuva means. So we understand repentance. Oh, when we come to Jesus, we have to repent. So when, that's what, so when you're an unbeliever, you have something that doesn't belong to you, you teshuva, you give it to Jesus, you give your life, you come back to him, and he gives you life within, and he gives you life eternal. But what we do, we end up carrying sins that, what, that don't belong to us. Attitudes, actions, words, just all kinds of stupid stuff that we carry. So when we repent, we're giving it back to the Lord, Right? Kevin, you took those words to yourself. You said things that shouldn't happen, and you said things, I'm going to use Sherry, because she's always a good one. Um, I'll give you all the empathy, dear. All the sympathy and empathy come. Like, how does she tolerate being with that guy? I just don't know. (laughs) Sometimes I speak harshly to my wife. (gasps) No. You're a pastor. 
Sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. Sometimes I have attitudes I shouldn't. And I've taken things to myself that don't belong to me. You know, I've taken resentment. I've taken bitterness. I've taken things that are not mine. And so when I repent, I have to say, Lord, forgive me for the attitude of my heart that is wrong. Forgive me for the words that I spoke. Forgive me for the deeds that I did because I've taken things that don't belong to me. And so in teshuva, in repentance, I'm giving it back to the Lord. Jesus paid for sin, did he not? Do you know what that means? He owns it all. And so when you hold sin in your heart and you hold sin, you're holding something that belongs to Jesus. A, you're not created to carry it. B, he's the only one that can take it. Right? You understand that? And so when, I have, when, like, when I'll say something like that, the Lord will be convicting me or showing me something about my wife. And so then I'll repent and then I'll go, now go tell her you're sorry. And I'll be like, oh, no. Oh, no. Jesus, I need, a, I need deep prayer and intercession for that before I go in there. <sighs> no, it's not that hard, but... I go and I, t- I go and I, us- I apologize. And I just tell her I'm sorry. And then she usually adds to it. What else are you sorry for? <laughs> Is there anything else? It's like, and it's, I've learned, I'm trained. I'll say, well, what would you like me to apologize for? Mm-hmm. How would you like me to say it? Well, I want you to say that I take you for granted. I take you for granted. I'm sorry for taking you for granted. I am so sorry for taking you for granted. And I want you to say, I'm not going to take you for granted anymore. I will never again take you for granted. <laughs> yeah. So there's two different words in the Greek for, for, for sin. This is important. This is a foundational understanding. If you're going to understand life itself. There's, everybody say, harmatia and harmatano. Harmatia is the one that condemns us all. It means offense. It means to push away. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Our sin is pushing God away. Adam pushed God away. And when Adam pushed God away, he inherited or took upon him the debt of that sin. And that debt became iniquity. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. That's what the word iniquity means. Issues that follow you through the bloodline. All of us have iniquity in us from the offense of our, all of our common ancestor, Adam. And so all of us are born in sin. That's why we must be born. That's right. All of us are born of the blood of Adam. That's why we must be born of the blood of... That's exactly right. Wow, you guys are awesome. You get the picture? Haramatano is the, is the sin of condemnation. We're all born with it. We didn't do anything to get it except be born. So does it, this has nothing to do with your external actions. Your acceptance or denial based upon God's heart is not based upon your externals. It's based upon your position. Apart from him, you are positioned outside of his kingdom. You are positioned in Adam. Therefore, you are not accepted and you are in under sin. Right? It's important to understand. God never condemned man. God condemned sin. Mankind is under sin. Therefore, he is under the condemnation of sin. You get that? Lord never never condemned Adam. Read it. There was no condemnation placed upon Adam. There's no condemnation placed upon Eve. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Cursed is the serpent. God put cursed upon the action, but not upon the person. But because the person is under the curse, therefore we inherit it. When we come to Christ, we're translated from darkness to light. We come out of Adam and into Jesus. So heaven sees you repositioned. That's why you have to see yourself repositioned. I don't feel like it. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do with how you feel. You're in Christ whether you feel like it or not. You're born again. If you're in Christ and you've asked Jesus into your heart, you're born again whether you feel like it or not. You belong to him. 
This is the truth of the matter. Now I have to type again. I'm going to fix this at the break, man. This isn't going to, I'm going to get my tech guy over here. <laughs> Alex is uh, one of these tech guys. I'm sorry. Harmatano means to miss the mark. This is all the stupid stuff you do, right? So we have the positioning of sin, which is harmatia, and then we have the stupid stuff that we do, harmatano. The positioning means you're going to miss the mark. Miss the mark of what? Destiny. God sets a destination in front of you and says, if you'll reconcile the sin and you'll align with the destiny and the purpose, I'm going to take you there. Some of you have destinies and callings. Some of you, there's destinies over your life. God has a purpose. You cannot disqualify your position in Christ, but you can disqualify your destiny. That's the difference. You make stupid choices. Harmatano means to miss the mark. Church often preaches sin is missed the mark. No, sin is offense. The root of the condemnation of sin is harmatia, not harmatano. And so oftentimes when, the, when, the, when this is presented to believers, we say, well, sin is missing the mark. I'm like, well, which sin are we talking about? The sin of missing the mark does not condemn me. The sin of offense condemns me. In Christ, the sin of offense is lifted, but I still miss the mark. Anybody get a, can I get a witness? Which means I'm born again, I'm a Christian, and sometimes I sin. I don't want to sin. Omission, commission. You know, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I know what's wrong. <laughs> don't say that to her. I'm saying it anyway. Yeah, I'm sorry. Control yourself. You know, anyway, nonetheless. It's the nature of sin. Harmatia condemns us all. Harmatano is, is the external stuff. So what we, is your, if you're not a Christian, you need to deal with the harmatia. That's the first article of business. You need to deal with the fact that you are separated from Jesus. You, there is nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God except open your heart and let Christ come in. That's it. Man cannot save himself. He is hopeless and helpless. He must be born again. You have to let Jesus into your heart. And if you do not, then you're condemned. Well, I'm a good person. It doesn't matter how good you are. Bad people don't go to hell. Unsaved people go to hell. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. It has nothing to do with works. Your acceptance in his kingdom has to do with Jesus and Jesus alone. Period. Your destiny, your purpose, your fulfillment of what God has called you to do, that relates to your choices. Choosing into it. It's just important to understand this. Repentance is teshuva, metanoia is shifting the way you think. So we have two different words. So we return to the Lord. So here's the deal, right? I come to Christ, I give my life to Jesus. Teshuva, Kevin, repent, teshuva, for the kingdom is now. Is that not what he said? Interesting how he puts repentance and kingdom in the same sentence. Isn't that powerful? Return to me because the kingdom is here. Teshuva. I return to the Lord, I give him my life. Then when I give him my life, then he speaks metanoia over me. Metanoia is another word for repentance, and it means change the way you think. See the world differently. Christian, is your life belong to Jesus? Two of you? Okay, I better do an altar call here, man. You know? All right, if you don't believe me, you know, so anyway, but if your life belongs to Jesus, can, is anyone here? Who wants to say, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my fathers. Your life belongs to the Lord. Then change the way you think. Stop seeing yourself other than the fact that what he sees you. God says, come to me and see yourself as a son. Change the way that you think. Come to me and stop seeing the world as if, stop seeing your life in, re in relationship to who you were. Change the way that you think. Stop coming to me and living like the world. Change the way that you think. So repentance is twofold. It's returning to the Lord and it's transforming us by the renewing of the mind. Changing the way we think and perceive. Christians are born again, but they still, think like they, they still think like an unbeliever. 
Christians are born again, and they still see themselves in light of who they were, not in who they are. You have to change the way you think. Some of you, that's sta- you, need to, you need to move into stage two of, your, of repentance. You belong to Jesus, but you've never made the second step into changing the way that you think. Metanoia. Say it with me. Metanoia. Change the way I think. Change the way I see. And change the way I perceive. Right? You don't have the right to define you. Only Jesus defines you. Happy day. (laughs) Nobody has the right to define me. Only Jesus defines me. I don't give that right to anyone. And Jesus loves me on my worst day. Jesus is for me when I'm against me. Nothing can separate me from his love. So what we need is we need forgiveness. So we need forgiveness from the eternal law, which is the sin of condemnation. And then we need forgiveness from the moral law. This is is the harmatano. So we have the harmatia, which is the eternal law, and we have the harmatano, which is the the moral law. Most of us in Christ, we we can't violate the eternal law because the law of of the spirit and life in Christ Jesus has set us free from that. We're born again. But we do violate the moral law. We do. We violate things that God says is wrong. We do it anyway. Right? We make agreements with things that God says is wrong. Listen, if you're a Christian and you think that, that, you, that you, a government, a world, or anybody has the right to define what is right, you're wrong. The only one who defines what is right and wrong is Jesus. The Bible says righteousness belongs to the Lord. You know what righteousness means? What is right to God. So people say, well, it's, it's legal. And I'll say, is it right to God? Well, I don't know, but it's legal. A government, a nation, a people, a culture, they do not get to define what is right and wrong, Christian. If you believe that, then you need to metanoia and change the way that you think. That's how people are. God, so when we violate the moral law, what happens, especially in modern Christianity, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Well, the Lord says there's something wrong with it. Yeah, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, but the Lord says there's something wrong with it. Is if you have the right to define the moral law. You don't. You don't have the right to tell God what is right and what is wrong. He alone determines right and wrong. That, that's, that's, that, the, the positive side of that is that you don't, have your, you don't have the right to condemn yourself when God has justified you. You don't have that right. Well, I just feel like I'm condemned. Are you in Christ? Then you're justified. You don't have the right to condemn you. You've been made right to God. The Lord says you're right. This is, this is how this stuff works. We have to give up what we think and begin to think as he thinks. We have to give up what we see and begin to see as he sees. This will activate the church. The church in the modern culture is diluted, diluted, inundated with worldly thinking. And I'm not talking about holiness. Don't smoke, drink, or chew or hang out with those that do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about even even a diminished mindset to see ourselves as what we are not. To, to, to To not understand what we really are and who we really are. We are sons and daughters. Creation groans for what? What's creation wanting? The, the gr- creation itself is groaning for the sons and daughters to be revealed. Well, when Jesus comes, pastor, the sons and daughters will be revealed. That's not what that verse means. Creation is groaning for the sons and daughters to understand who they are. Creation is groaning for the sons and daughters to understand who they are and take their rightful place spiritually. That's what that verse means. Well, in the sweet by and by, creation will no longer be groaning. Creation will be satisfied when the Lord comes and establishes his eternal kingdom. Until then, we're just going to hold on. Hold on, brother. Hold on. And we beg and bequeath 
But Lord God Almighty, if he so much would just drop down a raining dew of heaven, if we are such, we will be in humble adoration and gratefulness for the teardrop that falls down upon our lap because of the grace of our living God. You think that's what he has for you? Who told you that? He's an abundant God. You're sons and daughters. You have rights of inheritance. Church, we diminish ourselves with our thinking. We diminish ourselves with our understanding. Sons and daughters, rise to the level of your birth. Forgiveness is an act of will. So we're talking about forgiveness. It's an act of will and it's an act of healing. So what do we need forgiveness for? We need forgiveness, number one, for ourselves, right? So if you're in Christ, well, let me back up. If you're in Christ, you need forgiveness from the Lord. That's number one, if you're not in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you need forgiveness from the Lord. And that only happens through a simple prayer. And I'm, God willing, I'm going to pray that prayer before this is over. But if you're in Christ, you need forgiveness. And probably the first area of forgiveness that you need is for yourself. You're harder on you than anybody would ever be. Can I get a witness? You condemn yourself more than the Lord ever would condemn you. He doesn't condemn you at all. But you, you need forgiveness for yourself. You carry it, right? And then you need forgiveness for others, what you've done against them, and then you need forgiveness for what others have done to you. This is the areas of forgiveness. There's a couple others, but I won't get into that because this would take me too long to explain it. Forgiveness is an act of the will. So let me show you this, right? Say this with me. Two dimensions to forgiveness. What heaven requires and what releases us upon the earth. So what heaven requires is a willfulness to forgive. That's all heaven requires of you. Do you know that? That's all the Lord requires of you, is a willfulness to forgive. I choose to forgive that person. But here's the, here's the rub, right? You guys are all going to identify with this. If I choose to forgive the guy that ran me over with a car, then why every time when I see that Mercedes that ran me over, I didn't get run over by a car, by the way. Why every time when I see that Mercedes do I freak out? You know what I'm talking about? The disconnection between our emotions and the act of forgiveness, right? That girlfriend broke up with you, and every time you heard, uh, what is that? I heard that you're married now. And you start hearing that song, and you're like, ha, 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 ha. But you forgave her, didn't you? So why is that affecting you, right? Why does that affect you if you forgave her? Because you are wounded. You get it? You're wounded. So there's the forgiveness that God requires of us eternally, that you would be willful, have a willful heart to forgive. And so the deception that's played upon the believer is the fact, well, if you've really forgiven them, then you wouldn't be having these emotions. Anybody ever heard that before? If you've really forgiven them, then you would have forgotten this long ago. To forgive is to forget. <laughs> they don't understand the dimension of the soul. They don't understand that. A Christian thinks that anything that happens in the soul is taboo. The, that's where all the problems are. The problems are in the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your problems aren't in the spirit. Your problems are in the emotion. That's where your problems are. And so what happens is, is you've been offended. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've done things that you regret. And so you've hurt and even wounded and offended yourself. And you're carrying even subconsciously pain against yourself. That doesn't mean that God hasn't forgiven you. That doesn't mean that the forgiveness that you gave the person isn't accepted before heaven. It means you're carrying it. And what's the next question? What are we supposed to do? That's the next question. Well, step one is to be honest. I come from a place where everybody would be just pretending. Well, we've forgiven him. We've forgiven him. We've forgiven him. Oh, bless God, we've forgiven him. And everybody would be like, oh, I'm going to kill that guy, you know? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you guys are humans here, right? I, do, I, do, I hope, do hope so. Yes, we have communion. I'm almost there. I'm almost there, Shell. I'm working on it. I'm almost there. 
Forgiveness is an act of will. So what happens when you're wounded? So you willfully forgive before heaven, but this is really the rub for all of us, is that you have two choices when it comes to the wounds of unforgiveness. Say it. Just because, come on, I'm wounded doesn't mean I haven't forgiven. Just because I'm wounded, come on, doesn't mean my forgiveness before heaven isn't acceptable. Just because you're carrying the wounds of an action and you still feel the pain of that action doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven or your forgiveness isn't acceptable. When you have wounds within the soul and wounds within the heart, there's two things you can do. You can self-manage or you can heal it. Self-management looks like this, okay? This is, this is my, my training. I'm all, I'm all in. I'm going to train you this morning on how to self-manage, right? So what does self-manage mean? You change the channel. Self-management. You just change the channel, change the channel, change the channel, right? So that person keeps coming up. You start here. I don't recommend self-management. I recommend healing. But none because you're all like, man, self-management, man. You know, come on. Anybody who's ever tried self-management, you realize you can do it for a while, but after a while it gets exhausting. But self-management is acceptable. It, it, in, in other words, if you're going to act out on it, don't. Self-manage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, but healing is better. So you can self-manage. Self-management looks like, you know, every time I hear that song, smell that perfume, uh, see that movie, or, you know, something reminds me of that person, that place, or that thing, I get an emotional jolt, or I feel something. You don't want to, anybody, does anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Yeah? Okay. So, you can say, no, I don't, because you've never been wounded at that level, Right? When you're wounded at that level, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what that feels like. You can't get rid of it. You're like, what do I got to do? I need to quote 50 verses. You quote 50 verses. Go right ahead. I, don't, I recommend it. Change the channel. I recommend it. But it's gonna, it keeps coming back, doesn't it? Right? You turn it from channel 2 to channel 22, and then channel 2 keeps popping up on the screen. You're like, I don't want it on channel 22 or 20, channel 2. You have to heal it. You have to heal it. There's a, there's a process to inner healing. You have to heal. We do inner healing here. We do. You can heal those unforgivenesses. They don't have to be with you anymore. Yeah, like, like really, really. You don't have to carry it anymore. You don't. You just don't. It just depends on if you want it or not. Some people like it. It's been with them so long. They got wounded when they were seven years old. They've been carrying it around for 30 years. They don't know who they would be without it, so they kind of nurture their pain. They love to carry that pain with them, right? Gives them an excuse, gives them a reason, you know, but if you want to be free, you can be free. And if you don't want to be free, then I definitely recommend self-management. That's the next thing. The Lord's desire is clean hands and cure pure hearts. So when we repent or when we pray, we're, we're purifying our hands and we're purifying our heart. Now, let me give you this one real quick. What we tend to do is we tend to judge ourselves by externals. This is, this is religious Christianity, right? This is what it looks like. We look at the externals of it. Well, I don't smoke, drink, or chew or hang out with those that do. I don't have anything to repent for. I had a pastor one time tell me I haven't sinned in six years. <laughs> yeah, just think about that. And I'm like, really? Pride of heart? Is that a sin? Is that, is that a sin? Ego? Pride? It, you know? I have, don't play the sin card with me. I haven't sinned in six years. I'm like, well, I probably sinned six hours ago. So, I, you know, maybe you, oh, holy, righteous one, can pray for me, you know? But the point being is we judge ourselves by our externals. But God is not looking so much as our externals. He's looking at our heart. David said this, search me and know my heart, Lord. Test, watch this, test the source of my anxieties. If you've got anxiety and you don't know why, the Lord will tell you. He'll tell you. He will show you the source of your anxieties. 
because it's internal. Show me the source of my anxieties. See if there's anything offensive in me. In other words, he's asking the Holy Spirit to show him what's wrong. Show me, Lord, is there anything in me, anything off, anything wrong, and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Scripture is linear, but our hearts are not. Our hearts go to all these weird and wicked places sometimes, and we carry things with us that God doesn't want us to carry. So we have to ask the Lord to, to, to look into our heart. What, what the Bible is providing us for, I do it all the time, is just asking us, Lord, show me, show me, show me. And he'll be, sometimes he'll show you anything. That's fine. Sometimes it's just an attitude of prayer. But if God is convicting your heart, don't ignore it. You ask him, what is, what is it that you're burdening my heart with? Your words, Kevin, your attitude, Kevin, your actions, Kevin. I mean, I'm just, I just throw myself under the bus for you guys. You guys can all pray for this. Like, that pastor's got some issues. We need to pray for this guy. I just, he needs to take part of some of my holiness. I, I'm just putting myself out there so that you can, you have a position to relate to. So, why, so what, what happens is in the prayer, the Lord will show you what's going on with you. He'll show you if you ask him. So he may show you what ends up happening a lot of times is that what we don't see, we don't oftentimes see our attitude, but our attitude can be just as sinful as hurting someone physically. You know, sometimes your attitudes and your words can be, and so what will happen is, is God will show you. So I'm just going to play it out. I'm going to roll the tape for you. What will happen to me is I'll, I'll be talking to the Lord, and I'll ask him. A lot of times I'm just worshiping him, or I'm just talking with him. I'm praying, and I know, the, I know when he's trying to tell me something. Hey, we got, I want to talk to you about something. And he'll tell me, and say, I don't, say it with me. I don't always agree with what the Lord tells me. That's right. You don't either, right? And so what Jesus, and I was like, I don't know if that's true, Lord. I'm not too sure that that's you know, I don't really see that. I don't really have a personal connection to what you're showing me. And he says to me, well, Kevin, one of us is wrong, and it's not me. <laughs> so I learned, I learned that whatever he's showing me, he's right, and I'm wrong, and I know nothing. So if you're showing me this, that I have an incorrect attitude, so I ask him, and I'll have him show me, or if I have something that he wants to deal with me on or ask me for, say this with me. When the Lord shows me something, this is really important. When the Lord shows me something, come on, come on. He's not showing me to shame me. He's showing you to help you. Our paradigm is, is if God shows us something, we're like, oh, I'm such a loser. Jesus just told me I have a bad attitude. He's showing you to help you. He's trying to show you because he expects you to understand repentance. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. He expects us to understand that. Oh, Lord, forgive me for my attitude. Is there any restoration that's owed because of this attitude? Yeah, you need an apology. No, we're all good. We're all good. You know, well, apologize to someone around. I don't know, but that's how it works. I'm out of time. Attitude of forgiveness towards, towards others. We have to choose to forgive in advance. This is another principle. I'm going to pray this prayer, and then we're going to take communion. So if you guys would just stand to your feet, please. I know it's a little bit of an abrupt ending, but I'm completely out of time. And uh, Jody's going to play. We're going to take communion together, which is a good thing. So when she prays, when she plays, um, you guys just go up and grab the communion and bring it back. And we're going to say this prayer as part of our communion, right? Because we can't teach about prayer without giving a little bit of a prayer for you. Right, so just go ahead and make your guys way, make your up your way around, and um, you're going to grab one of these communion cups and the wafers on the top and the juices on the bottom. And if you just bring it back to your seat with you.
Communion is such a beautiful word. It means common union. And so when we take this together, we're to be reminded of the common union that we have with each other. We may disagree completely politically, socially, economically, philosophically, but if we're Christians, we agree on this. This is our common union. And we remind ourselves that we have common union with one another, and we remind ourselves that we have common union with the Lord. Jesus had a party on the night he was betrayed. So we're gonna do this, we'll take communion, and then we're gonna say a prayer and then we'll close. Can we do it that way? Are you guys all right with that? Just, okay. I'm hungry, man. Pizza will wait. I'm with you. All right? So he had a party on the night that he was betrayed. They were going to take his life from him. And Jesus had a party the night before. And he sang a song even after this dinner. But before they, before they ended the dinner, they took communion together. Jesus broke bread and gave it to his disciples. And he's about the next day, that day, he's going to be crucified. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. And let's take the wafer. Let's hold it up. And just say, this represents the body of Jesus. It was given for me. It is no small thing. I want you to say this. Jesus, I remember you. Let's take it together. And he took a cup. It was filled with wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is a better promise, a better beginning. This is my blood which is poured out for you. He says, every time you do this, I want you to remember this. When you do this together, remember me. So let's hold it up. Say, this represents the blood of Jesus that was given for me. This is no small thing. Say this, Jesus, I remember you. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. And now we're going to say a prayer based upon forgiveness. Let's say it together. Say this with me. Father, I thank you for the greatness of the forgiveness you have provided for me through the blood of Jesus. I thank you that you love me on my worst day, that you are for me when others are against me, that you are for me even when I am against myself. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to search me and to know me. Show me the source of my anxieties. Reveal any trespasses that require repentance, trespasses of the heart, of the will, of my actions, or even of my intent. I will not argue with what you show me. I will willfully choose to forgive any lingering sins or trespasses that others have committed against me. The willfulness of forgiveness is what you require. So I willfully forgive. And I choose in advance to forgive myself for any and all shortcomings, disappointments, and failures. And I choose in advance to walk in and grant forgiveness and grace to all who will inevitably trespass against me. I thank you for the gift of forgiveness. I thank you for the gift of repentance that provides me with the ability to have clean hands and a pure heart before you. And that expands the fullness of your presence in my life, Jesus, which is what I seek. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you. Come on, yeah, we can clap, we clap. Don't, don't let Carmen hang. Come on, come on. <laughs> May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way.
And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.